30 years ago, Gary Chapman wrote a best-selling book, The Five Love Languages. In it, he suggested that there are five different love languages, and he makes a strong case for the fact that if both husband and wife are to feel loved, they each need to speak the language their mate understands. The languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, gifts, and quality time. The premise of the book is that people show and receive love by primarily using one of these languages, and problems arise when the language you speak is not the language your spouse hears. For example, if you think love is best shown by acts of service, but your mate needs words of affirmation to feel loved, he or she won't feel loved no matter how hard you try to show it by doing things for them. And I think there's some validity to this and would obviously recommend that couples try to show love in ways their mates understand. And just as there are many ways to show love to one another, so are there many ways to show our love for God. We can tell him we love him through singing and worship. We can show him our love by serving him. We can reach out in faith and touch him. We can demonstrate our love for him by giving him gifts in the form of tithes and offerings. We can spend quality time with him in prayer and, and in his word. Indeed, there are several languages we can use to express our love for him, and they're all good. But there's only one way to prove our love for him, and that is through obedience. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in our text for today, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Obedience is the only proof of our love for God. Now, I realize there are some who don't like to think about the relationship with God in terms of obedience. To them, you know, it sounds so negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. They assume that obedience leads to a life of bondage, a, a life of drudgery with no self-expression. What they fail to realize, however, is that contrary to popular thinking, a life of obedience can lead to great rewards, and five of them are found in our text for today. Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room. He's about to leave them and go to the cross. But before going, he once again challenges them to obey what he has been teaching them for three years, and he does so by holding out to them the rewards of obedience. The first one is increasing love. 
He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It's not enough to have the commandments. We must keep them. That's the proof of our love for God. It is therefore in the keeping of Christ's commands that we best express our love for him. And he says if we keep his commandments, the Father will love us. Now, we do have to be careful here. We don't earn the Father's love by being good. You know, no child should have to earn their father's love. Romans 5.8 says that God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God reached out to us and provided the way of salvation long before we even thought about obeying him. He offered to heal the breach that sin had caused in our relationship even before we were willing to acknowledge there was a problem. But now that his love has been expressed, we must receive it. And we receive it by responding according to his instructions, by obedience, if you will, by doing what he told us to do to be saved from the consequences of our sin. You know, only then can God the Father enter into a loving relationship with us. And it's only after we are in a relationship with him, made possible through our obedience to the Son, that Christ is able to fully disclose himself to us. He has revealed himself to the world as the Son of God and only Savior. But we can only know him as the lover of our souls when we love him enough to obey him and give ourselves to him. Well, that shouldn't surprise us. We really don't know anyone until we love them enough to fully give ourselves to them. And they, in turn, give themselves fully to us. That's what Jesus is talking about when he said he would then disclose himself to us. Now, Judas, not Iscariot, the one also known as Thaddeus, didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he said he would disclose himself to them. He thought he was talking about some grand display of power and glory. But Jesus didn't even address his faulty messianic expectation. He simply affirmed the fact that those who love him and keep his word will be loved by the Father and that the Father and Son will abide with those who obey his word. And it's through abiding with us that Jesus discloses himself to us. And he can only abide with those who obey him. 
So if we would have an intimate relationship with the Son of God, we must obey Him. And it's through that intimate relationship that we experience ever-increasing love. So ever-increasing love is the first reward of obedience. The second is increasing knowledge. Let's continue. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. You know, the more you love someone... And the more you express it by pleasing them, by doing what they ask, the more they're going to open up with you and share with you. And the more they share, the more you will know of them. The same is true of our relationship with Christ. He taught the disciples personally while he was with them in the flesh and he was about to depart. But he didn't want to leave them alone. He didn't want to leave them as orphans. So he said if they loved him enough to obey what he had taught them, the Holy Spirit would be sent to teach them more. He would make sense out of the coming events that would surely confuse them. You know, they wouldn't understand the crucifixion and its implications until the Holy Spirit would enlighten them. They wouldn't comprehend their commission apart from the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't know what to do or how to do it without his direction. So the Father was going to send the Holy Spirit, and he would teach them all things. He would teach them the additional things they would need to know, and he would enable them to remember everything Jesus had already taught them. That would obviously ensure the accuracy of everything they would say and everything they would write. And that knowledge is available to us today through the scriptures that they wrote. So the scriptures are our primary source of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. However, that's not the end of the Holy Spirit's teaching. He is still active, teaching and leading those who are obedient to the will of the Father. If we are submissive to what he's told us in God's word, he will enable us to understand it and put it into practice. He will enlighten us as we read it. He will help us apply it to specific situations. He will comfort us and guide us by bringing it to mind, helping us to remember what has been said. In short, he will increase our knowledge of the one we love. And that will give us increasing peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, the world's idea of peace is temporary freedom from conflict. Peace in Ukraine would be a period of time when the missiles stop coming and the guns are silent. Peace in our homes is when we're all getting along. 
That's the world's idea of peace. The peace, peace that Christ gives is different. It has very little to do with the circumstances in which we find ourselves. You know, he was on his way to the cross when he spoke of peace. The disciples would soon be forced into hiding. Believers would be chased out of Jerusalem. All but one of the apostles would be killed for their faith. Their obedience to Christ would lead them into lives of conflict, but it would also bring them peace. The peace of knowing their futures were secure. A peace based on their confidence in Christ. The more they would serve him, the better they would know him. And the better they knew him, the more they could trust him. That's what gave them peace. And that's the peace he offers us today. The confident peace that comes through obedience to his word when we're doing what he's told us to do. It's only then that we are at peace with God. Now, again, that doesn't mean our confidence is based on our performance. If that were the case, I'm afraid we'd all be in very insecure position. What it means is if we love him and are seeking to express love through obedience to his will, he will enter into a loving relationship with us, and that relationship will not be broken by a momentary failure on our part. In fact, he's promised to forgive our sins and to keep on loving us even when we're not very lovable. But isn't that what we expect of family? And we're family. So that's what we can expect from him. He will not forsake us. We can be confident of his love and that puts our hearts at ease. Our future with him is secure, and that gives us peace. And it gives us increasing joy. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. Jesus was leaving. And the disciples would miss him greatly. But if they really loved him, even in the midst of the sorrow of their parting, they should be able to share in his joy. Because he was returning to the Father. That was a reason for rejoicing. You know, even in death, a horrible death, there could be joy because Christ was returning to the Father. And that was a joy even the cross couldn't take away. That's the same kind of joy that's offered to us today. Even when facing death, our death or the death of a loved one, we too can know the joy of going to the Father if that life 
has been lived in obedience to the Father. If we know the final destination, we can have a joyous journey no matter what happens along the way. Nothing that happens to us in this life can take away the joy of knowing our future is secure. And it is secure because in Christ we find increasing victory. I will not speak much more with you. For the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go from here. The ruler of the world was on his way, and it was time to quit talking. It was time to do what the Father commanded Jesus to do. It was time for the cross. It would be a horrible experience. Satan would make sure of that. But even Satan and the horrors of hell couldn't keep Jesus from obeying the Father's commands because Jesus knew how the battle would end. He knew it would be hard, but he knew who would win. And that gave him the confidence needed to march on to victory. When he said, arise, let us go from here, he may not have been saying, let's leave this room. It's not until the 18th chapter that John says they went forth to the garden. Jesus may very well have been saying, we've got a battle ahead of us but we're going to win. Let's go. He was confident of his father's love and was willing to obey him in everything. He knew victory would be the final reward of obedience. The apostles heard what Jesus was saying. And even though they had a few false starts and stumbles along the way, they committed themselves to lives of loving obedience. And they received all the rewards that come from such obedience. Those rewards can be ours as well. We too can know increasing love, increasing knowledge, Increasing peace, increasing joy, and increasing victory. They will all be ours if we'll but trust and what? And what? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Do you love him enough to obey him? If you do, do what he tells you to do in his word and what his spirit urges you to do. A new year begins today. I can think of no better time to begin a life 
of full obedience to the one who loves you enough to die for you. Let's trust him and let's obey him.